following podcast may be explicit. Flying towards a setting sun in a Honda Accord of gold. The AC stringing against the funk because our socks and drawers are old. On the 105 for an afternoon drive, whizzing by the freeway flora. In the passenger seat is my best friend Pete, a fat man in a fedora. Breaker 19, this is Drechnar the Dark. I was momentarily detained in the hotel entrance, fat beard. The valet was trying to charge me an exorbitant fee. It appears we have ourselves a game con. Yeah, we got ourselves a game con, playing for four days straight. We got ourselves a game con, our hygiene if you wait. We got ourselves a game con, our games have the fun. And we'll be playing all the night, till the morning sun. Thank you for joining us for Season 12, Episode 4 of Happy Checks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Kimmy. This is Stork. And uh, let's see, uh, uh, GameX is going on as we speak. Right, right now. Right this, yes. right this instant. We don't have any live updates, though, do we? No, there's no, no. live updates. No big fails. If anyone is listening to the stream live, which they are probably not because the uh, 8 o'clock game session started 46 minutes ago. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. Or if you're at the con and doing a chat while you're at a game, let us know what's going on. Yep. Yeah. Tell us. We're not there. Uh, country comic guy voice, yes. Um, oh, Frey must not have gone to the con either. He's in the chat room. And hello to the chat room. And Hello, chat room. Uh, I have turned on the Q&A thing, if anyone is interested in uh, queuing and Aing. So, I'll close all tabs. Why did I even open Internet Explorer? Why did I do that? That was the worst thing ever. Go away. Get out. <laughs> it's crashed again. Anyway, um... <laughs> Uh, also, uh, mwow.net slash tour fund. mwow.net slash tour fund. That's the GoFundMe thing for it's the... It's also uh, just on the homepage. If you go to mwow.net, it's like there's M-W-O-W- like three W-O-W- different links on the front page. Dot net. Dot net. And there you go. Yeah. Uh, support them uh, getting to uh, Bristol Renaissance Fair and other parts unknown. Yeah. And it will continue to be unknown because we're really bad at the direction. It's kind of a tour. <laughs> it really is. It's kind of a tour. You it's guys tour. are doing more than just like the, Bris- the Bristol Renaissance Fair. It's, yep. uh, we're also going up the coast of California, hopefully doing some shows as we go. Um, hopefully having places to stay as we go, too. And we'll end up um, first in Washington State Renaissance Fair. Which oh, is excellent. very exciting. It's very cool. You know what? Talk to my sister. Well, you know, I'll tell you off the air. We can, we can hook you up with the people in Oregon. Excellent. Is there a spider? Yeah, there's a spider. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I hit it with a piece of paper. Oh, you know, I was remiss last week. Yeah. Uh, H.R. Giger passed away. H.R. Giger is the artist that did a lot of the those really scary... Uh, if if Cthulhu or, or H.P. Lovecraft was brought to life, he was the guy that, that pretty much envisioned it. It was the most horrific... Okay, now you're talking sexy, about... Yeah. So, like, in, alien kind of... In Deities and Demigods, he did, like, the... No, would- he didn't do any of the drawings for that. He did the design <laughs> for Alien, actually. Uh, when Ridley Scott decided he wanted a really creepy alien, uh, he contacted H.R. Giger. But it's usually these sort of women that are kind of enmeshed in sort of biomechanical goo. Anyway, he uh, he really was inspirational with a lot of the fantasy art that we think of now, from Brahm to uh, a lot of modern comic art. Uh, the, the landscape would definitely be different without H.R. Giger's influence. And he 
was a fine artist, although he was sort of shunned by the fine art world because a lot of his stuff was so out there and so weird. <clears throat> um, anyway, he passed away last week, and I think a lot of gamers will mourn him because uh, if you don't even know the name, you know the work, for sure. Oh, they're saying Geiger, pronunciating. It's Giger. It's Geiger is how we Americans pronounce it, but it's actually Giger, G-I-G-E-R. I don't know. I never heard him say his name. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. And, uh, go ahead and, I don't want to do that right now. Google Giger. I'm. De- I always. When if someone corrects you on here, I always. I know. Assume and someone else right. is saying it's Giger. G e e. Well, not spelled that He's, way. He was Swiss, so I mean, it's probably like Giger. But uh, Giger. Yeah, probably. There's probably like a, a. What do they call it? Not an umlaut, but um, a. a, a a Schwarzwaldo? No, a schwa. I think there's a schwa <laughs> over the eye. All right. Uh, so really, fa- none of us know. Actually, did he? F- did, is it true he fell downstairs? I don't know. He he had an accident in his house. He said or, because that's someone said he fell downstairs. Probably. Uh-huh. He probably because he designed them and they were unwalkable. Huh. See, the chat room is all knowing. Yeah, they, they are. America. America. GJ. Aha. He's Canadian. <laughs> well, so, Stu, you don't, or, so, Stark, you don't know his name. You don't know how he died. <laughs> no, you don't know that he died. <laughs> I, I heard he had an accident. The last I read, he heard he had an accident in the house. If he fell down the stairs, perhaps that actually came out in the last week. Okay. Chat room is always right. They just told me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Did they uh, have somebody post a picture so that Stu knows what we're talking about? I wouldn't recognize him. <laughs> Not him. His art. artwork. I've seen Alien. Oh, okay. Kimmy, do you know? That's, yes. That's oh, the one right. with Spock, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes, there was a conti- yeah, there was actually a very large contingent of cosplayers who were mourning his work oh. after he passed and right. stuff. Yeah, it says it fell downstairs and died. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. To him. Yeah. Yeah. Drinking. So, um, uh, also, if you want to buy Boggard CDs and the shirts... I'm going to order the shirts next week. Got the artwork finished. Excellent. And that'll happen. And I'm, uh, I don't know. I'll probably have them a couple weeks. So, but that's that's t- that's next week's project. So you can go to angryfolk.com/store. You'll be able to get it there. And uh, next week we'll probably have other band swag on there as well. And th- that site's you're constantly working on that. There's there's we're working on links, or you're working on links. You're working on ways to buy more and more stuff. So yes. it's only in its infancy right now. So that is correct. If you showed up and you couldn't buy stuff or the stuff you wanted, revisit it in a couple of weeks. Yeah, because Stu is making things come online as he can. In the meantime, go to mwow.net <laughs> and fund our tour. Right, and then come back and buy a shirt. There you go. That's true. And uh, yeah, I am working on it. Right, right now, it only accepts PayPal. It will. I will never just accept credit cards on there because I don't want to have to deal with SSL. I, I don't even know what SSL stands. I get for, pissed so I off when, I, when places don't accept PayPal. Have you ever gone through the whole free to like buy I don't know work pants or something, and there's no PayPal at the end? You're like, fuck you! I'm going to go find another place that accepts PayPal. I buy everything on Amazon. Well, that works too. But still, I mean, sometimes you don't have both links. Sometimes it's just a credit card. That's I'm true. Not giving you my. Oh, Orkboss said that Escher died the same way. He fell down H.R. Giger? No. No, he fell downstairs and they kept looping around. (laughs) (laughs) He was falling for about 40 hours before somebody pulled him out of one of the doorways. Oh, great. (laughs) Now they're putting links to to images. I'm not clicking on them. No. That's a terrible, terrible (laughs) idea. Especially anything Frey posts. 
Now, one of them is from Fred. Yeah. yeah. Okay, this email is from Luke from London. Hey, douchebags, douchebaggettes, and douchelings. London Luke. calling at Luke, the top of the we are not job. your father. <clears throat> Sorry. My group changes game every so often, 8 to 12 months, and we generally play something completely different than before. And now for something completely, completely different. different. And now, number three, the, the large. Um... I can, I can GM fantasy, modern-day sci-fi, and most genres with no issue, but when it comes to horror games... Dot, dot, dot. Dun, dun, dun. I love the idea of running a Call of Cthulhu game, but every time I GM one, I end up disappointed. The ideas I have about how it should go and the reality are quite wide apart. Bef- mm. So before we start the question questions proper, have a drink! drink. So it really should be in English. So before we start the questions proper, have a drink. Have a drink! I have had a look at the last few horror games I have run and pulled out three main areas I think my games need work on. The first one. How do I help the players achieve the suspension of disbelief slash the correct mindset required to add the right feel to a horror game? Playing a horror game is quite different from other genres. The usual joking, side conversations, inside jokes, etc. I find can take away from the horror game far more than any other genre. How do you pace a horror game? Should it be slow and creeping or sh- or so much happening that you don't have time to think about what is happening to them? And how do you create something truly horrific to incredibly jaded players? I try to load my horror games with lots of atmosphere by using music, only playing at night during the winter so it's cold and dark, using candelabras to create interesting shadows in the game room, etc. <laughs> this works <coughs> This works really well, but without players who have bought in a well-placed game, a well-paced game and an interesting and hor- horrific problem, the game tends to fall flat. Any advice you can provide will really help my games. So drink. Cheers. Luke from London. P.S. Drink early, drink often. Excellent advice. I'm betting my liver on the assumption that replacement livers will be available in, to me in 20 <laughs> years' time. Right. We'll be able to like just print them up in 3D printers with like soy protein. It'll be awesome. That's what I think about all vices. You I, just engage, engage, and just assume medical science will solve the problem absolutely. once it rears its head. Right. I mean, he, he can't have much of a drinking problem because he's planning it happening in 20 years. So. Right. Well, maybe he just started. Maybe. Right. And, maybe. He, and he can actually form coherent sentences and type, so he's fine. Oh, yeah. For now. But who knows? Uh, anyway, so we've talked about this in the past a little bit on several occasions, but I've, I think someone asked us about this a long time ago when we had the whole Scooby-Doo discussion. Well, that's me, yeah. That's that's always been my problem with horror games is that I always turn them into Scooby-Doo, and I don't mean to, but they and I, do. And, I, and I, I, I've run some successful horror games. You have. Yeah. And, and I've, I've even had a little, a little bit of horror in... The L5R game on a couple, on at least one occasion that I can think of, where things turned gross and uh, and the players were a little trepidatious. But I I I have a couple. I have actually a page worth of thoughts that I jotted down today. Um, That's very organized of you. It is to to sort of approach to, to sort of approach doing a, a horror game. Uh, in a way that will 
at least give you the best chance for success. I don't think there's any gonna, there's ever going to be a guarantee. No. I think it is been. one of the most challenging genres of games. It is, not. and I need to step back and we need to frame this because when you're doing a horror game, you're not you're not catering to min-maxing, you're not catering to power gaming, you're not catering to really to anything but role playing. So you're already limiting a lot of people's a lot of players' ideas of what a game is. Right. You are you are going for a real specific niche and the min-maxer and the power player are are almost going to be a detriment, especially with Call of Cthulhu. You know, right. if, you, if you're really good with a gun, that's a bad idea in Call of Cthulhu. For a lot of reasons, we'll probably get into that. But it really narrows your player style and your players. If you don't have buy-in from the players, if, if you're dealing with min-maxers and power gamers, you're going to have a tough game because they will not get it. Right. And and actually, yeah, and, and one of my... One of my sort of things on there uh, was player selection. Mm-hmm. But that's not always an, on the table, though. No. no, it isn't. You know, but you definitely want to, A, let the players know, hey, I'm going to be running a horror game. Uh, it's not going to be a typical shoot 'em up or go out and kill stuff and you know kick ass. Well, that's, that's not what uh, the kind of game I'm trying for. Maybe that's important. I think I'm, oh, I'm not sure is. a lot of people actually say ahead of time, "Hey, I want to run a horror game. Everybody, leave your min maxing dice at the table or at home, and we're going to do this instead." I'm not sure that that ever really comes up. Maybe it should. It sh- it absolutely should. I think it, you have to. You've got to have players who a are interested in doing a horror game because I mean there are players who play. We all play role playing games for different reasons, and we all play role playing games at different times for different reasons. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I, I might be perfectly willing to be in in a you know a a long drawn out uh a horror you know sort of cosmic horror game like a call of cthulhu like, like mass Annihilator, or lathotep or or one of those you know long things where you're going through and trying to piece together this impossibly complex web of deception right. that's there's happening stuff in egypt on the orient express and there's stuff over here in ancient right. uh, mexico and there's in your globe trotting and you're putting together match book covers and tickets and but there's other times you just want to go find bad guys and kick the shit out of them, and I then, agree. Yeah, and leave them in the street bleeding, and and it's okay to not be interested in one or the other, and I, and I think you need to be very clear and very upfront what kind of thing you're looking for, um, from the players, and 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 what well, kind of game you want to run, or as a GM saying specifically, this is the game I'm running. Right. If you're not interested, don't show up or or you have player buy-in. I think it's important that GM explain ahead, especially with a horror game, that this is what I'm planning yeah. on doing. And you have to enforce that. I mean, it, well, let me let me let me let me step into systems and what I think makes horror games gaming systems different from other gaming systems. And we can have the argument that you can house rule anything. To create, let's just say that ahead of time. You can you can play a horror game in any system if you're willing to house rule it enough to make it happen. Absolutely, sure. All right, that's done. But I've had that conversation. But there are some things that most horror games or games that lend themselves well to horror do, and one of the things that they do right in the very beginning with character generation, they don't make combat machines. They're not meant to make combat machines. You're making ordinary people. You're making college professors. Usually intellectuals. Scholars, maybe you're making writers, dilettantes, and debutantes, okay. and I mean, I mean, if you just look through the list of character archetypes in in Call of Cthulhu, there's only a couple of them in there that would even possess a gun, yeah, 
or know how to use one. Yeah. Most of them, their strengths are something else entirely. They may have, they may have, you know, engaged in some fisticuffs now and then, or something like that, or maybe they, maybe they served in the great war and they know how to use their cavalry, cavalry saber, but for the most part, they're not packing M60s and, you know. Yeah, these guys are not the Punisher. They're, no, absolutely. They're they're just maybe a war veteran who's retired and become a writer, become a professor, become a, a, a society, a gadfly, whatever it is. Right. Or or maybe not even in, ever in the military. I had a gammy leg. I was 4F. They Damn didn't let me gammy in. gammy leg. <laughs> or a speedy go jack. But I think it's important to, to realize... You know, a, a good horror game. the the whole The whole point of it is, you're going to take people and you're going to put them into a situation they are not prepared for. It's the helplessness, right? Exactly. So that's important. And I think also, if you look at a lot of these systems that 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 do horror well, combat is really deadly, and it happens. You get hit, your day is ruined, or you're dead. Your life is ruined. Period. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's death is very final. Mm-hmm. It's instantaneous. Gunfights are that way, like on the Orient Express and Agatha Christie. Uh, shots ring out, the, the the lights up their cabin, and somebody's dead on the floor. It's right. that fast. There's none of this. I hide behind things and take shit, and then reload and keep shooting. No, that never happens. Yeah, the, the consequences have to have weight. Right. I remember, and and the other the other thing is your your setting needs to be such that. It's not a society where everyone's armed. It's not a society where everyone owns a gun. It, I mean, yeah, yes, you could run an Old West horror game. And you could even have everyone be gunslingers. But the key to it is, those guns aren't going to be that helpful against what they're going against. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't care. Maybe right. it's already dead. Or bullets just don't affect it. Right. It's that simple. You Go ahead, shoot it. You shoot it. It keeps you, you coming yeah, at you. Yeah, the bullets get embraced by its lobby, icky flesh. Even yeah. zombies are the same way. You right. shoot it all you want. So, I mean, and I remember I played in a... In a um, it, was, it was a very frightening game. We played ourselves, and it was a post-apocalyptic thing. It was, a, it was actually a, um, it was a zombie apocalypse game, but this is in the 80s when every other thing wasn't a zombie apocalypse. I know. They're everywhere now. I know. Uh, and... Uh, we were wandering around, and we had a car. That was the the, the limits to our equipment. <laughs> and we found like a big black suburban with tinted windows. And you know, we broke. In, ha- in the hands of an expert, a car can be used as a weapon. Well, yeah, but so we broke into this car because there's like no one around. Everyone's gone. Not they didn't all die. They just all disappeared. Turned into zombies. Only a few. Most of them just disappeared. So we're, we get this car, and it had belonged to a drug dealer or something, because the GM had rolled, rolled 3D6, and he rolled a 3, and he's like, oh, I'm going to give them everything they want in this car. All right. <coughs> so there was piles of illegal drugs, piles of cash. I don't know what we're going to do with it, because we hadn't found anyone we could give money to to get anything for. Uh, <laughs> and a shotgun. You know, that's a very good point right there, though. Okay, already you guys have got everything you think you need. Right. You've got money, you've got drugs, you've got, oh, great, we're set. But there's nobody to give it to. Right. There's, what are we going to do? We can burn the money to stay warm, maybe. We can get blasted on Coke, though. But, it got, yeah. Yeah. So, but the shotgun, it's like, oh, awesome. And then, I, you know, we made ourselves as characters. I've fired a shotgun, you know, at this point, maybe half a dozen times. 
I, that's not a, that's not enough to justify half of a point of sure. skill in it. No. No. Fuck no. No. And then ammo also becomes important. There you have a shotgun. Oh, we had we had a, we had a couple a couple small boxes of ammo. Okay. We probably had twenty rounds of ammo or something like that. So, I mean, the first time I had to use it, luckily it was a shotgun and it was GURPS because you know, <laughs> GURPS helps you out there a little worked, bit with the worked shotgun. Worked out what a shotgun scatter range is. Right. So, I mean, but it, even having that still kind of pulled the rug out from under you because it's like, yeah, but you're not really good at it. You don't know how to use it. Yeah. And then in a pinch, you know, when something's right there in front of you, are you going to have the wherewithal? <laughs> Okay, so let me pause there because right there is the makings of a great horror game. You have a car <coughs> that you may or may not be able to get gas into. You have uh, a lot of money. You have a lot of drugs, and it's enough to fit you all in. But th- you can't use any of that stuff. And right. you're not even sure what it is you need to do. You're just trying to, to survive. And right. you have a gun. That's the one useful thing you have. And nobody knows how to use it. So right there, you have a... It's very real. Yeah. If I were to get in the Suburban right now full of drugs and money and there was a zombie apocalypse, I'd be looking for the guns. Looking for the... Throwing Never money out the window. Guns. It would I mean, it would make no difference. And I see. And I think that's kind of... Part, oh, go ahead. No, oh, go ahead. That's kind of... One of the important things is all of these pieces fit together. Because you got to have the average normal Joe. Because mm-hmm. you've got... You know, ex-Marine Bob, who just just rotated out of Iraq, well, he he put a shotgun in his hand. He's going to be really fucking effective with that shotgun. Certainly more so than us, yes. But but Fat Stu, the truck parts salesman, (laughs) no, not so much. much. I mean, I can certainly threaten people with it effectively. Right. But when it comes right down to an actual combat situation, I've seen a bunch of movies. All right, stand back, and you shoot it, and would hit you in the face and knock you out. Right. Well, right. and the point of horror is that the players or viewers from movies or whatever have to feel powerless. Mm-hmm. So even if it is, you know, <coughs> Marine Bob who just got off his rotation, like somehow you have to make him powerless. Right. And I think that goes back to what we were saying about players. And play, some players just off the bat don't like that. They play RPGs to be powerful. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do kind of want to circle back for a minute because you guys were talking about player selection. Yeah, player yeah. selection. What do you do? Because we, I mean, we are totally spoiled, as we said on the podcast before, and we have a great player base to choose from. So what do you do if you live in Podunk nowhere and you've got four guys who game with you? Do you try anyway? Do you, I mean, if you are passionate about running a horror game, just I'm curious what you guys think. Do you try anyway? Do you have tricks to set it up to try and get them into it? Or do you say, okay, I'm going to run this horror game with one and a half guys? Well, that's why I was talking about picking the right kind of system. Right. Because the guy who is the system monkey, mm-hmm. who is going to tr- tr- look at the game and try to build a character and break it, First thing he's going to notice when he reads the combat rules is this is a really deadly game. Right. So right off the bat, his his behavior, his instinct is going to change because of the fact that he knows this isn't like a hit points attrition, a, a standard hit points attrition system where I can get hit nine times with a sword before I go down. Mm-hmm. This is this is like one good shot can take me out. Right. So th- right there, as, and especially if you've got a system that has some sort of a time-consuming character gen mm-hmm. where it's an investment to to build up a character, he's going to be reluctant to throw that character away by shooting first and asking, asking questions later. Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure when there are situations when violence comes up, 
that there are repercussions for doing that violence, whether it's legal, which may or may not stop them. They are player characters, even if they are in a horror game. <laughs> but also, someone else with it, with an equal or, or overwhelming force mm-hmm. who might come step in to to you know uh, to restore order and say, "Hey, you guys can't shoot shoot up my bar. I have a shotgun behind the bar." Well, okay. So that, sticking, I mean, sticking with systems again, you kind of wandered off at that topic again. I mean, I don't know if we should recommend systems per se, but there's well, he's certain talking systems call, he's that... Talking call of, he wants to run Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. And, that's, and that's fine. I mean, that, that's, it was built from the ground up right. to have that. But the, my reason for even bringing systems up is exactly for that reason, it is to... that The right game system will put the, the players... You might drag them kicking and screaming, <laughs> but it will put the players in a different mindset than that would in a heroic fantasy. Absolutely, game. because uh, that's important. You're going to get hurt. Yeah. You're going to get hurt, and it's going to be really well, bad. It, and your character also, is not going to be. It's more than that too. Call of Cthulhu really limits your choices in a lot of ways. I don't want to say it's railroady, but it builds a specific type of character. You mm-hmm. really only have a couple of choices, and none of them are really effective and great. Everybody always sort of skews towards the archaeologist because we all saw Indiana Jones, right. but more than that. That's the only like only heroic guy you got. The rest of them are scholars and debutantes and gadflies, and and you're like, this is a game. How am I supposed to win at this? And you're like, aha, that's the point, isn't it? You roll up the character, you do the thing, you do, you pick your, and then we're gonna play the game. Well, I got a, I got a. Let's see here. I'm, I'm, the Great Gatsby. All right, cool. Right, you have a mansion. <laughs> you own a mansion and a yacht. That's all. Right. You know. Well, I think too. I mean, I. I, I sort of disagree. I think there are more characters you can do. I think people tend to fall into the stereotypes with Call of, sure. Call of Cthulhu games, but you can make pretty effective, you know, ex-soldiers or explorers, adventurers. Yeah. You can you can go down that avenue. Most people, I think, at least in our group, don't tend to because they're sort of boring sometimes. They're sort of one-dimensional di- often. Right. But I think Call of Cthulhu does a great job because there is no real winning. No. Like, you run away and you live. You're, or the, you stick around for the end of the game and you all die. Or, or I mean, your your best case scenario in most, most Call of Cthulhu games is going to be you were able to put off the inevitable, inevitable horrible truth yes. that is and one I, day going to en- engulf the universe. The universe and yes. I have a confession. I, I mean, <clears throat> to be honest, when, when Call of Cthulhu came out and I was 14, I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. We rolled it up and we played the game and we, we were like, what do you mean I went mad? No, I I win. I'm a win. I I killed it. I and I couldn't wrap my brain around not kicking its ass because every other role playing game I had played, I was kicking people's asses or choosing to lose and stuff. But it, I didn't get it when it came out. Now, as a middle aged man, I get it. I get the whole act of losing, and I set up characters now that get that and have flaws and are flawed people. But Call of Cthulhu was one of the first games that that actually set me up when I played games. Rolling up a, a a a character that was flawed to start with, mm-hmm. I'd never had that before, and I, I remember being mad at it. I right. won- yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I wonder too. Like he talks about how he sets the mood in the room. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that may actually be backfiring. Because if you have well. if you have people who are sitting down at the table, they're already sort of skeptical <coughs> about playing a game. If there's like flickering candles and mood lighting and suddenly they feel like they're on the haunted mansion at Disneyland, that's going to put them on edge or, or at least not relaxed and comfortable. They're either going to be like, what is this? Or they're going to be like, this is weird. Okay. Right. And it may, if the player themselves aren't totally at ease, they're not going to be able to let go 
and just become sure. immersed in the story too. That 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 is entirely possible. It may and, and you know I, I've I've played with GMs who have tried to force a tone on the table, right? And it always backfires. Yeah, you always can't. backfires. You got to get you got to get the players to to create that tone with you. Yes, you can't impose it. They have to be in, in on it. Now you're going to have some players. If 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 you live someplace where all you got is you know a, a couple good role players and a couple min maxers, that's why I'm saying pick a pick a system where it's even if you do make you know the gun porn guy, he's it ain't gonna help that much. You're, you're not you're not gonna mow down you know five old deep ones when they come emerging from the lake. Right. Right. So so. Yeah. All right, moving beyond having the right players, what is it that makes a horror game different than a normal role-playing game? I mean, the I I have a hard time, or I always had a hard time making my character... I mean, I, I, I guess I get caught up between mystery and horror. Mm-hmm. Mystery is solving, figuring out clues and things, and, and there's, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's the 2,000-volt ghost. Oh, no, it's the, it's the kind of caretaker. That's different than a horror game. And I, I think in my head I've always mixed up the two. I think that there's a specific difference between a detective, gumshoe, mystery-solving thing, and a horror. Well, the horror, I mean, most horror adventures are mysteries. It's just the mystery is a horrific, awful thing. Well, not it's not simply a whodunit. Well, I mean, Friday the 13th isn't a mystery, but it's a horror movie. A it's horror, a horror film. A horror game and a horror movie are two different things. Well, yes and no. I, I posted a link to something called Frankenstein's Army the other day, which was basically a dungeon crawl, and all these horrific things are happening. And there's bodies and body parts, and your friends are disappearing and coming back as, as animatronics and stuff. Spoilers. But it <laughs> it's horrifying, As but it's not necessarily a mystery. I mean, you walk into this labyrinth to try to find... The doctor right. in the center of it, right? It's a dungeon crawl. Okay. And yet the surrounding stuff is so horrific, it's what creeps you out. And I think that there's a distinction there that you wouldn't get. You could you can make any dungeon crawl creepy, but how do you make it a horror film specific? I think I think it's the victimization. Because I in think you're right. a in a horror setting, even though there may <coughs> excuse me, maybe mysteries, the main characters e- most of them probably will not survive. If they do survive, it's not. It's it's like by the skin of their teeth. Right. They have been put in a victim position. Mm-hmm. Where in a mystery, that may not be the case. While there may be victim, there there may be victims in the mystery. The 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 players or the characters are in a position of knowledge in a position of power. In of yes. In in only if only. In the way that they can solve the mystery, they're, they're, they're generally the, the <coughs> hunting, not the hunted. Right. Right. Even if even if even if there's the the bad guy, whatever, is also hunting them. There's a bit of a an e- equality of power. Yeah, you've you've hit it on the head there. I mean, it's the difference between a bunch of murder hobos wandering through a maze and a bunch of hobos wandering through a maze. Right. Yeah, the murder hobos have are armed and they're ready <coughs> for it and they know what's coming on, whereas in, in Call of Cthulhu or any other real horror game, the people that go into there are vastly un- underprepared. Sure. Mm-hmm. For the for how so you're horror. way over your head. You're way mm-hmm. over right. your head. Now the um, uh, Rick number Rick number seven said, uh, "Here's the problem I have jamming horror is that if you look at horror movies, it's basically the writers being GM screwing over 
Everything the players try, horror movie writers throw yes and out the window and intentionally screw the quote-unquote players. I, um, I think that's a trope that people fall into very quickly. And, a, but, you know, I and, and one of the things, sort of one of my little sub-things here was about running the game. And yes and is one of those things that is going to kind of go away in a horror game. Because, yeah. as you said, you're in over your head. It's not a heroic game. You're not. You're not. You're a victim, you're, right? You're a victim. So, and that, and that, you're going to also be a victim of malicious and capricious stuff. Yeah. You know, and if, if you're trying to get away from a monster and you run out of window onto a fire escape and it's thirty feet to the other fire escape on the building across the alley, and you're going to say, "I'm going to try to jump it," as okay. a GM, I'm going to say, "No, that's thirty feet. You're. I'm looking at your character. You don't. You're not an acrobat." You Even can't if you were, you, 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 you can't make it. Well, can I try? No. <laughs> you you won't make it. You can try, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to fall and you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. It's a horror game. <laughs> we yeah, need right? someone to go get beers, so okay. Now, now what what I might say is, <laughs> I might yes but or no but him and yeah. say, no, you, there's no way you can't make it. But there is a pile of garbage on the ground, and you're only on the second floor. You could probably you, you could probably hit that and you might survive. Right, you do. I I, I think because then you take him from yeah. being the heroic guy jumping across the alley. Yeah, to, I'm going to be the lame guy jumping, jumping into the, into the garbage. <laughs> and I think that's something you do really well, Stu. Like you yes and without yes anding mm -hmm. in a way in your horror games, so that they stay the victims, but they're not completely hosed. Right. Because you do have to still give them some player agency. Yes. So, I mean, they can't just, okay, oh, the bad guy's going to get you because <coughs> you can't jump across the way. I guess you're going to die either way. But you can't do that. You have to find a way to give them a way out with, but while still keeping them the victim. Right. And I think, I think that's something you do really well. And I think it's sometimes hard for GMs to do that on the fly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why sometimes people who are trying to GM horror for the first time or haven't done it a lot end up being more railroady than they than they normally would be in games. Right. Because it is hard to yes and and still keep that that powerlessness of the players there. I think the key is you have to let the players, uh, you have to give them enough rope to bury themselves. It's like, you know, when they're being chased by the monster out of the hotel, they're like, how do I get out of here? Is there a window? Yes. And they break the window. Uh, okay, I'm going to jump to the next building. Well, that's 30 feet across. Oh, no. Well, odd cow is there any other exits from the room? Uh, no, the monster's standing in the doorway now. Okay, already, you haven't, you haven't, no butted, you haven't blocked them. They've made their decisions. They've made the player agency, but you've racked up the horror. You've racked, ratcheted up the, the situation. Now they're stuck in maybe a, a hotel room with a couple of rooms, mm -hmm. and this monster's shambling in on them. Yeah. All right, right there, everything is different. You haven't taken anything away, but you've explained to them that, no, this is the real world. You can't actually jump 30 feet. I, <laughs> I don't care how good you are. You can't. Yeah. Um, you might be able to jump down, you know, and do you want to try that? <laughs> yeah, and let him do it and have him roll. And if he fails the roll, he breaks his leg and he's trying to hobble around hobble with a broken away. leg right. now. And yeah. Right, now he's out of the, the building. You know? yeah. Exactly. See, and I, think, I, I think that's the key. Uh, it's it's simply a matter of letting the, giving the players enough rope and let them hang themselves, but making sure that they know full well it's the real world. The consequences, actually, if you get hit by a bullet, you will die. Right. If you fall more than 20 feet, you will die. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you're building your horror sandbox, if, if you will, you have to plan it out really meticulously. Like, I'm sort of a, a GM who likes doing things on the fly. You can't do that with horror games as much because you, when those, you know, when, when your victims run into a hotel room, you need to know where the exits are. 
right. or, or at least know that it won't matter later mm-hmm. because you never know when something in a horror game is going to circle back around and really matter. Oh, yeah. So you have to really have things planned. Plus, you have to have confidence because once you pull the, the agency away from the players and they start feeling scared and victimized, even if it's just you know their characters, if they feel for a second that you don't know suddenly you become okay so he doesn't know and i don't know they need to feel that the gm has is solid there right so that they can flail around a little bit Mm -hmm. so you even if you're faking it you gotta sell it that's a great point it also brings up something in my mind it's maybe a side note which is if the players are going to start feeling helpless they're going to start falling back on dice rolls as a a security Mm -hmm. blanket and that's where the system comes becomes important you need to have a system that plays into that you Mm -hmm. need to know Um, it if you're if you're playing hero and trying to do a horror game they're going to be fall back on i'm going to intimidate i'm going to because those are in there right if you're playing call of cthulhu none of those escape hatches are there they're stuck with what those rules dictate and i mean and that's that that kind of brings up one of my other things when you're like prepping a game you gotta you've got to anticipate that players are going to start using all kinds of w- skills for weird reasons. Yeah, yes. they will. And they're I'm, gonna, a, I'm famous for that. And and they're going to they're going to look th- they're going to sit there and say, "Well, we can't kill this thing because none of us have a gun, and none of us know how to use it, even if we had one." Fuck! What are we going to do? They're going to get wily coyote on your I've, ass. I've <laughs> got I've got library research. <laughs> yep. Let's go to the library. Well, yeah. you better fucking have the library ready. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And 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 you they they need to get something from those yeah from those skills because that's all they got. Yeah. Right. So they are going to rely on those non combat skills more often. You got you need to be ready for that to happen. Have something. Give them you know give them a little bit of information about you know maybe some myths about what it is that's that's killing people in the in the dormitories or. Or whatever it is, give them little little bits and pieces of clues, little glimpses of stuff here and there, yeah. so, so they can to f- empower them. Yeah, yeah, and then then you then you get rid of then you pull that right out. Or it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so you know the name of the thing that that's haunting the hotel. It's it's actually an elder being named named Kafalalad. Right, but it doesn't really help. <laughs> you no, just spent mm. an hour and a half researching. Now you know it's still there. Yeah, right. I <laughs> God, I was playing. Uh, I think it was Call of Cthulhu at one of our conventions. And I forget what somebody, I don't know why, and I remember like sitting at the table and it made like really great sense at the time, and then we thought about it later and it was like, wow, that doesn't mean, I think somebody tried to knit something. Because they had knitting. Yeah, I don't know what, like, I don't know yeah. why, but we were all like, oh, that's <coughs> the best idea ever. Let's knit a net. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it was something stupid, I don't know, but, and it, it ended up failing miserably, but I, like people latch onto weird, stupid stuff. Well, when you, you're scanning your character sheet, desperately <laughs> looking for something to help, desperately you're looking. Yeah. I, got, I got. Wait, do I have a camera? I'm gonna use the flash to blind it. Yeah. Any <laughs> anything you can Ooh, do. That's a good one. Right. Um, yeah. it, it's. I was actually going to say, Kimmy, you're really good at spinning a mood in your in your games, and mm-hmm. you've run your Salem game a couple of times, and it was a borderline horror game. Yeah. How how did you get the mood without using music and stuff? This kind of refers back to what we were talking about earlier, but I wanted to bring it up earlier, but we were on a really good jag. But I wanted to bring it back to that because you're pretty good at – you're very good at, at creating a mood at your tables. Um, I think part of it is creating the world and then letting the players define their characters and how their mood will be. And just not fighting it because regardless of what I want the mood to be – like it's they're gonna feel how they feel like there's no way as a gm like i can help i can set up cool character sheets i can have props 
I can like describe things in a certain way. But really, when it comes down to it, I've got to latch on to what they're feeling and then go with it. Mm-hmm. And then and then expound on what they're creating. You kind of nudge them in a direction, especially when you, the Salem, Salem during the witch burnings. Yes. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a very specific place and time that I think carries with it a mood. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, I think most players, if they've heard of Salem <laughs> and the Salem witch trials... They're going to sit down with an expectation for a mood as well, exactly, and buy into that. Yeah, and I th- and you can do that with props, with describing the setting. I know when you do Call of Cthulhu games, you do really cool things to do, like sending, like having articles from a period, you know, newspaper. Right. So little things like that to just kind of nudge them in the right direction, I think, is really helpful without necessarily making them uncomfortable, like having weird mood lighting in the room. Telegrams. Uh, I love telegrams. Telegrams. Yeah, stuff like that is really cool to kind of start them on that path. You actually bring up a very good point because if you have all these jokers jokers who are messing around and then you drop a telegraph with like a blood spatter at the end of it, it shuts them down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Or that if failing that, if they're still joking around, well, how did you make this? A printer or whatever, you know, you can glare at them and say, a child just ate his eyeballs out. Well, how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, and then starting with something heavy. Right. Like if you want a game to be serious, like – have the people walk into town in the middle of a hanging, mm-hmm. like something like that. And I remember really vividly on the the Ghostbusters game that's online that you did Stu. Like we were joking around, oh, we're Ghostbusters at Disneyland. This is great. And then the little girl eats her mom's eyes. Right. And like you could hear even on the recording, like all of us are just like, oh shit. Yeah. Like we're like all lighthearted. I'm like the dumbest you know cheerleader ever to carry a Ghostbuster thing and it's just like i love that character though it was, it was awesome so much fun. Yeah. yeah literally like <laughs> it, so the game dro- the game got serious yeah. yeah right dropping something right away to make them know how heavy the stakes are you shut that fucking cricket up yeah what the fuck it keeps it keeps going over and over again is it gonna stop is it loop. stuck no it's do you have a loop. gunshot sound effect hit it again it is hit it again i'll hit it again oh there it goes no i didn't uh, do it no, that, no there it goes it's just like a real cricket <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, fucking shut up! Oh, that'd be the worst. Oh my god! Have a cricket sneak into your recording studio? Oh my god! What, do you, what the fuck do you do? Bug bomb it? Kill it? I, yeah, I, bug bomb it. Yeah. That's bad luck. Keep it a certain Ogrio, temperature because crickets like, like a Pinocchio. Man. Yeah, crickets do their their cricket based on temperature. You can actually figure out temperature based on how often they cricket per second. Oh really? So if you keep it at a very <laughs> certain temperature, freeze they, them. Yeah, pretty basic. All right. Um, I have to say, I've never been good at a horror. I've tried running them, and I even tried with my freak show stuff, and it still ends up super heroic. And like, I know with Call of Cthulhu, even Frayed used uh, there's the Call of Cthulhu Mech Warrior mashup, uh, uh, Cthulhu Tech, Cthulhu Tech, yeah, for people who don't like losing. Mm-hmm. The the a couple there's a couple other things about when you're running the game that I wanted to mention. One is uh, foreshadowing. Whatever the bad thing is, thing with a capital T. Whether it's a monster or it's a coven or, or whatever it is, don't show it to them right away. Right. Don't let them know what it is right away. Start out with a crime scene. Here's a murder scene with a horrific murder. Maybe it's a sacrifice. This is a striptease. Exactly. You don't want to show it all away. Right. Well, <laughs> it, 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 I got it. it. It's more like a hooker. And so let me explain. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you're going to start out with something like that. And then maybe, maybe the next crime scene. There's some sort of clue that maybe hints at something supernatural. Or maybe not. Or maybe just hints in a direction. And then maybe they find, you know, grainy, you know, uh, closed circuit footage 
of a you know a shadow against a wall that doesn't look human mm-hmm. or maybe a, a, someone was able to snap a fuzzy photo and you can't really tell what it is but you know and then when you finally reveal the thing you want to reveal it right fucking in front of them yeah yeah you exactly you know the horrific monster is not scary a quarter of a mile away no it's not scary half of a football field away. Well, it might be scary. It might get you to run. But when it's right fucking in front of you, yeah. that scares the bejesus out of you. Yeah. And that's what you want. That's what you want. The first time they see it, it has to be able to be in a position where it can immediately threaten them. Yeah. You open the closet door and... And it's right there. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. That's yeah. Why do you think monsters hide under the kids' beds? Right. Right there. there. Yeah. Mommy, there's a monster in the closet in the other room. No, you no, never hear no, that. <laughs> I think that's one of the ways that that horror games do mimic and and mirror successful horror movies is because if you look at the pacing of most horror movies, it starts off slow and then slowly picks up pace as whatever it is gets more imminent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a, a successful horror game is also run that way. First, you start very much setting the setting. And then slowly but surely they start, uh, weird things start happening and they start getting more clues. Maybe somebody's killed off that they care about until suddenly like the thing is right there. And I feel that's also very different than most hero games because in hero games you're like, la-di-da, we're drinking in a tavern. Oh, we're killing the thing. Oh, we're back in a tavern. Like back and forth. There is not really back and forth with a horror game. It's slowly building, speeding up, speeding up, speeding up, speeding up, going. And you're bringing up another important thing to remember when you're running a horror game is you want to keep the players off balance. You don't want them to have that safe haven of the tavern that they can always go back to. Yep. And where everyone knows their name yeah. and yeah. they can regroup. If you give them a safe place, give it to them for a very short amount of time. Take it away. And then pull the rug out from under them at the worst possible moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to bring up the point about uh, we all get caught up in these horror movies and we try to model our game after a horror movie. But there's so many different types of movies that are horror. Oh, yeah. Um, I would argue that Seven... Is a horror movie. Sure. And using the argument about there's no safe haven, everybody's a victim, even though these guys are, are, know how to use guns and, and they're cops, right? And they're yeah. cops. And positions they're of authority. They're still constantly playing catch up and they constantly don't know what's going on and they're constantly behind the eight ball and they're constantly, and at the very end, I mean, it's a horrifying situation. It, it's what's a. What's in the box? Well, oh, God. All right. It, it's, a, it's a great example of how to run a horror game without it actually being Cthulhu. I mean, right. But that's not what we should strive for. We look at that's kind of the exception. That's an exceptional movie. Um, I I think that people get in trouble when they model their games after movies. I think we 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 try to do a Hitchcock film, or we try to do Seven, or we try to do um, a Friday the Thirteenth, or we try to do Freddy Krueger, and everybody's so familiar with those tropes, they already second guess you, or they yep. don't take it seriously. I think that the key is that you need to use the the kernels of what we're saying, keep everybody off balance, make sure they're helpless, make them victims, and create a unique situation. Right. It's really easy to say I'm going to do Seven, and everybody's a detective, or you guys are detectives, and oh, here's a serial killer, and nobody's going to be scared. No. no. They need to create it themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. You, well, you okay. need to set up a unique situation where they're victimized, and then they then drop them in and let them fuck themselves over. Right. Well, you have to remember, movies are written. They're scripted right. out. You're not, you can't recreate something that falls together that perfectly when you're playing with players. No. Because they're never going to, you know, 
say the exact right thing or go down the exact right path. And you've got to plan your world perfectly and then still allow for them to stumble around and knock things over. In sure. It. Um, because, you know, as a movie writer, you can, oh, they suddenly walk in and they see, like, your players aren't going to do that. They're going to be like, I'm going to the library. This is where I'll find them. And it's like, right. murder scene over here. Go to the murder scene. How do you, and how do you keep them focused? I mean, we played a Call of Cthulhu <laughs> game where at one point we were like, you know what? Ideally, we'd all just get on the train and leaving. We'd get the fuck out of town. <laughs> See, to me, that, that would not have been an inappropriate ending for that game. I would not have been disappointed if you guys had said, we're getting back on the fucking train. We're leaving now. now. We're leaving now. Some of, <laughs> some of them did, and I stopped them from leaving by twisting the train track. Right. Because the monster went over and went... So none shall pass. Exactly, but I, I, I personally, if I was running a game like that, I would not have a problem. I mean, in a campaign, it's like, okay, fuck, let's let's just get out of this town. Obviously, the place has been overrun by vampires. Let's just go. Fuck it. Fuck this town. Fuck the fucking vampires. And just leave. We're leaving. Yeah. And if it was a campaign, I would be perfectly fine with that happening. It's like no problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. You go on to the you, you go on to the next big city, and I'll have some other horrific thing going on. Meanwhile, all the vampires in the little town are going to start spreading to the other nearby little towns, and they and know you left, and they and they know what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean that that would be awesome. That'd yeah. Be a, and then and then suddenly it's a lot worse by the time you have to deal with it. And you you weren't able to deal with it before. Right. Now what are you going to do? Now what are you going to do? <laughs> now it's in your hometown. So that's that's actually kind of a turnaround from where we talked about it earlier. Because you, I know when we did the game, you were like, oh shit, they're going to leave. It in hindsight and thinking about it, you're like you know what? Let them leave. Yeah. You know? That's a really good. Now that, a, that was a one shot. It was. So that hmm. that's a little different. But yeah, I think in a in a campaign, I would be fine with that. Yeah. I think that it, let people off the hook for that. If people want to leave, if they want to split the party, if they want to, in a horror game, yeah, because splitting the party is a terrible idea, right? <laughs> even in a hero game, but it's really bad idea in a horror game. You, if Scream taught us nothing, you never split the party, right? Well, and but I boy, I'd yeah. love it if they did in a horror game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think I think that's the thing is you you as a GM you have to be willing to have them run, and that's. That's sometimes right. a hard thing to say, oh, okay, you, you run away and you get away and you don't see the cool monster I made yet. And you've just got to... That's fine. Let it go. Yeah. yeah. You've really got to create your world and really just let them trample that all over it. That gives you a better chance. That gives you yet another chance to come up with an even more horrific way yep. to show them the monster really fucking close. Exactly. It'd be really awesome if we could have a bunch of people that were actually willing to run. Most players don't run. No. No. They will fight to the death. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's because there aren't a lot of horror campaigns. No. So if you're like, oh, it's a one shot, I might as well stick through <laughs> the end and die. Because, yeah, I want to see it. Yeah, I want to see what happens. <laughs> so I, I, I think there's... I'm not, I, I didn't travel all this way just to turn around and run. <laughs> I've been sitting here for the last three hours role playing I so I don't see the monster. I got lunch in 10 minutes. What do I care if my character dies? <laughs> right, exactly. All right. Well, thank you for the. Uh, I, I hope we answered answered at least some of your questions. Yeah. I mean, the the only the only thing that I think that we didn't really address much is the jaded player thing. But I think yeah. that has a lot to do with there again getting back to the system you're playing, knowing how dangerous life is with the right kind of game is going to help. You it's not going to scare. It's not going to scare jaded players, but it, they are going to stop and say, "Wait, that guy's putting a gun at us." 
Yeah. I saw the stats for a gun. Yeah. They will fuck up our day. You do have to have player buy-in, and sometimes character gen can help with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. uh, if you're doing Call of Cthulhu and everybody's playing it or rolling up the characters as one, you can you can see what they're doing, and you can you know, and they all everybody. Oh, this guy sucks. Yes. Yes, he does, and so does everybody else. Mm-hmm. That's the way the game is. And, and well, uh, let me just uh, get back to um, what what we were talking when we were talking about trying to set the tone. You you can't set the tone, no. But you can set the setting, like what That's you did what what you did with the with with the Salem Witch Trial thing. When I ran a um, you know a a nineteen twenties pulp game, I had nineteen twenties music playing in the background the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, setting the 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 scene, you know, reinforcing the setting will create a level of immersion, and the, and you're not. The important thing is to say here is where you are, here is the time and the place that you guys are in, as opposed to saying this is what you should be feeling right now. Right. One is going to work or mm-hmm. may work. The other one isn't going to work. Yeah. You can't tell people, you should be scared right now because I have a candelabra. Mm-hmm. Look at it. Yeah. Look at it. I got it at Disneyland. It's the one from the Haunted Mansion that floats. It's Why aren't you frightened? You yes. know what I mean? That ain't going to work. The guys are looking yeah. at you and going, fuck there's, you. There's one more note I want to say, too, <laughs> which right. is which is as a GM, you also need to stop joking around. Oh, yeah. Wait, when somebody picks up the phone, you don't want to, oh, one ringy dingy. <laughs> You don't want to get that operator on the end of it. No. Also, you don't want to say, look at that candelabra. It's the one where, ha, 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 Because now you're breaking the mood. Right. As a GM, it's a lot more work because you are constantly having to be serious and reinforce that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really easy. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a kind of happy-go-lucky, funny GM. I like, you know, shit happens and we always have, I have funny NPCs. You have to stop that and you have to curb yourself. I think that's the biggest note that i take away because i always screw up my own horror games by making something funny and then mm-hmm. everybody all the players follow me because oh thank god it's a release valve it's a stress sure and then that i mean that and an occasional crack or a joke here and there isn't going to ruin your, well, the players your are going to be joking around enough the gm needs to be straight oh, yeah, no I, he no, needs I, to be serious and i agree with you but i'm saying it. it's not going to ruin your game if one of the players cracks a joke and everyone laughs no. I mean, it may be a sign that you're doing you're doing all right. Yeah, they may be cracking that because they're feeling uncomfortable. Right. So don't get pissed. Like, let go with it for a second and then pull pull it back. Well, like with your Ghostbusters game, I was playing the Joker. <laughs> he was joking and making the wisecracks all the way through, but his wisecracks got less and less and less as the game went on because you never broke, you never you never laughed, you never made it. It was he. So his wisecracks became. They were still wisecracks, but they just kept. Falling on deaf ears, or they right. started falling on deaf ears because it started not being funny anymore. And right. that, isn't that the way a horror game should work? Absolutely. Well, and I think circling back to last week and our discussion about making people uncomfortable, I think horror is, in order to do a horror game well, you have to toe that line a little. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to know your players, like, obviously, like, like be careful. But, you know, someone who has kids, you know, finding a dead kid who's been sacrificed will strike home with them. Oh, Obviously, yeah. if their kid's in the hospital with cancer, please maybe not go there. Don't, don't play yeah, that horror Don't game. play that horror game. But, like, like, find things that, even if it's not necessarily applicable to their character, that as a player, they will take seriously. Yeah. 
So, cause, because even if they're, you know, player, if their character is like a playboy, you know, philanthropist that, you know, has never seen a kid and likes women, you know, like, like if they have children at home, if there's a kid who's been sacrificed, they're going to take it more seriously. Sure. So you've got to, I mean, tread lightly, like following the advice we gave last week, mm-hmm. don't cross the line, but also like, think about what you know about the players themselves and toe that line with them. So you're saying you, you need to exploit those things, but you need to be careful about it. It's true. The GM has to work much harder in a horror game than he has oh, to yeah. do with any other game, yeah. I think. Yeah. You have to prep more. You have to be more serious. And you have to be very, very aware. Yeah. That's right. why they're hard. Mm-hmm. They are. And uh, thank you for the email there, uh, Luke from London. Let me read this other one. It's very short. Let's get it out of the way. Email from IFJ. You said something about Banestorm. That's the GURPS default uh, fantasy setting. Using real gods instead of made-up ones. Bahamut wait, wait, wait. is real. Real gods? Well, well, like, well, it, what I, what I, I think what I said was real religions. Oh, okay. But if that's not what I said, that's what I meant. As in Christianity and Islam mm-hmm. are the two major religions in Bainstorm. Okay. As opposed to having, you know, payload. Got it. But he said Bahamut is real. Damn it! Look it up. And he's right. Bahamut is real. Yeah. Or Bahamut was. It's a, I've, peace. He's printed up, and he's got lots of articles about him, so he must be real. I've read it on the interwebs, right? Yeah. If you print it up in a book, Bahamut with stats and, and stories about him, <laughs> he must be real. I don't think he's a you know, the platinum dragon. Or I found it on Wikipedia. It is real and it true. Is, it is real. All right. Uh, and, and and thank you, IFJ, for that. Someone asked very quickly uh, if we have any thoughts on Watsi's announcement about 5e uh, and the release <laughs> schedule. <laughs> I, I, I do. I do. I, I have a lot of strong thoughts on it, but do you really want to hear them? No. Well, I have a lot of thoughts. Twitter's been, like, on fire. Why do I have to wait three fucking months to play the game? Right. You, right. You, don't you need a PHB, a DMG, and a Monster Manual? Yeah. The, really? You kind of need all three, right? Oh, no, no. You, apparently you don't. No, no. The game is so <laughs> well designed, you don't actually need any of Anything. No. no. They're going to have... They're releasing something that you can kind of play up to five. It's like a, a beginner set or something, right? Real. <clears throat> Fuck you. And... <laughs> That's now they I mean. asked about the price. You know, the, the, the fifty bucks a book—that's typical now. Yeah, that's I mean, go buy a fucking White Wolf book. Seriously, it's, it's still fuck. Yeah, it's you lame, but it's it's one hundred and fifty yeah. bucks for the core books. Little, I've little got steep, a, I've got a giant fucking filing cabinet in my office, and the whole bottom drawer is full of four ebooks. Yeah, I haven't sold them yet because they're great for flop material, right? Whatever. Yeah, but I'm not. Buying. Plus, I'm not doing it again. Keeping the file cabinet weighted down in case uh, it's true. It actually, really is true. That's really why they're in the bottom drawer. <laughs> the heavy books. Yeah. All the rest of the stuff's up at top. But still, uh, you know what? I got ass fucked by them twice. Yeah. I'm not doing it again. All right. Well, I we will. all say that, and I'm, then we're all gonna fucking buy. I'm the gonna books. Bu- I'm gonna buy. I'm gonna buy the big three in <sighs> November. Whenever the fuck I have to, so I can read them. Well, like, and and I, I'll, I'll run a. But I mean. Come on, three months to roll out the game so you can that's, actually yeah. get going on a campaign. That's, yeah, that's ridiculous. I, I talked to the um, our I went to our local friendly gaming store a couple days ago, and uh, they have pre-orders or anything. Even less space devoted to <laughs> role-playing games than they had before. Uh, one whole thing of books. It's a small shelf section. Is Emptied and it's all um, bones, miniatures. They, yeah. put in, they put in little pegboards and it's nothing but bones, miniatures. Uh, the other side of that is everything that's at fifty percent off. 
Uh, it was nothing I wanted. Yeah. I was thinking about getting like Rogue Trader or something like that. I've always wanted but to get Rogue that. Rogue Trader is like a $60 book and it wasn't in the 50% off no. section. If it was, mm-hmm. I would have picked it up. I always wanted that. Um, the only, Eclipse phase. All of one. the 4th edition D&D stuff is gone. Yeah. Completely out of there. Um, They're using it to insulate the walls. Probably. Uh, leveling the tables. Yes. For the minis. Yes. Leveling. Uh, I see what you did there. The... There, there so was, you hit a tear, and then the table tips over. There was, ex- <laughs> there was, ex- there was exactly one uh, of the uh, first edition reprint books. Player's Handbook. No, no, it wasn't the big one of the big three. It was like uh, Fiend Folio or Unearth Arcana or something. Well, like that. Gonna, that's all you need to play the game. But that's all they have. Fiend Folio. Well, no, it's, it's the last one they had in the store, and they're not buying any of that shit anymore. But the guy said, he says, yeah, we're making room because when fourth edition, when fifth edition comes out, we're, we need space for it because so some a, a lot of our sort of C level material we're getting rid of. That's all the stuff that's at fifty percent off right now. All the interesting games we're getting rid of, yeah. Well, I mean, not I all, know. not all okay. of them. Some of them were. I'm being out. unfair. I I have not played the game. I'm being judgmental. You know, the thing that killed me. I was in the used game section. You know, I I bought a print on demand copy of uh, World of Darkness. Okay. Um, the New World of Darkness core book, and then I just ordered Vampire of the Requiem on print-on-demand. You could probably find that in the used section. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That so I'm in the used like section. five copies? Two days ago. <laughs> and there is a copy of Requiem and the core book. They are new, but they're in the used game section. With three bucks. Ten bucks each. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, I've, I've already ordered them. They're on their way. It's coming. I'm... <laughs> Damn it. So buy anyway. them and sell them. Huh? Buy them and sell them. I could. Yeah. I could. Uh, I, I don't know. Most of white wolf people prefer old to new. Uh, email from CJ. Who wants to read Mr. CJ's email? I will do it. Email from Mr. CJ. Hello, douches. So I've been listening to the podcast for quite a while. I think more than two years. But I have not played an RPG since I moved away from Southern California in the late 90s. I listened to L5R actual play and found myself thinking seriously about playing again. I mentioned it to my wife a few months ago, and she just groaned. (laughs) Even so, the beginning of a campaign in the back of my mind is moving from simmer to boil. Nice. Wednesday, I found myself with extra time, which is unusual. It was some trep- it, with some trepidation that I walked into my local gaming store to play in a, a D&D encounter session. Wait, I just the positive. Doesn't it feel like he's cheating on his wife all of a sudden? He's like, <laughs> I'm a little nervous about this. Oh my my wife doesn't approve. I'm not completely <laughs> comfortable. I'm going to do a D&D. Hi, guys. My wife doesn't understand me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He all goes right. with husbands, too. <laughs> my husband's at home going, what, what is she talking about? Anyway, I don't. I didn't know what to expect, but I should. But I should shouldn't have, because it was pretty much what I had envisioned: a bunch of socially awkward guys, a thirty-something DM with a long beard and zipper hoodie, with a hood with the hood up the entire time, a guy in his early twenties who it looked like had not washed his hair in recent memory, the fifty-year-old guy with bad rosacea, rosacea, yes, and a speech impediment. Looks and smells aside, they were nice enough, and there was no gaming gaming horror story. But, rather, a dungeon crawl. So not much opportunity for role-playing. Sitting in a small room outside the Yu-Gi-Oh! tournament, I thought, Do I fit in with these freaks? I don't even know their names. But, had to remind myself that I didn't ask their names either. 
So I, I probably am, but hiding it slightly better. My schedule is tough, but I don't think that I ha I'd have a problem going back. Anyway, keep drinking. Mr. CJ. P.S. Earlier in the topic forum posted a comment about the choice between playing and, and RPG or living life. What would, the be what would be the bet place, best place to spend time? But I think if the choice is between sitting at home and watching TV and playing an RPG, well, I think the RPG should win every time. P.P.S. Dry, try dry blackthorn cider. It, you make it the pain go away. And what is it you're drinking tonight? Oh. I am drinking Strongbow, Strongbow Gold Apple Cider. Um, I would agree with him if Clone Wars wasn't so good. Yeah, <laughs> watching TV, sitting at home. Yeah, you're yeah. reading. You're, you, Stu got addicted. Stu found Clone Wars by mistake, or you bought it for your kids? No, well, no, it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on I Netflix. Know. It's awesome. It's I started really watching good. it, and Zachary's like, "Oh, Daddy, what's this?" I'm like, "It's a Star Wars cartoon." I'm trying to figure out where it fits in the films, like chronologically. Now I watched it as it was coming out. I should probably actually Netflix it too because I missed a bunch of episodes and stuff. It's between it's, two and three. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. But no, I know where it takes yeah. place, but I just it's it took just, me a while to figure that out. It's really good. But um, yeah, I know because I talked to you about it like a couple phenomenal. of podcasts ago, and you were like, uh uh-uh, and I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> there is. Uh, Doesn't some of it take place after three two between three and the old? I'm not trilogies? done. I don't know. Don't ask okay. me. Okay, never mind. I won't Spoiler. talk about it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm in season five, part part one, season five. It's so good. It is. It is so good. I, in season four, there was like a four episode thing where it's just following some clones on this campaign yeah. on this planet. It was like a cartoon sci-fi version of the Big Red One. Uh huh. Yeah. And it was. I'm like, my and God, all, this is great. All the clones have different personalities. Yeah. And they're, and they're different, great right? characters. And levels. And good and motivation. Good writing. Like, and there's dark shit yeah. happening. It's just awesome. Yeah. That was the one episode, or are you talking about a couple episodes? It so was there's like, one episode where there's like the whole bunch of clones are anyway. We can talk about No, that it was like it was like a three or four episode arc. Yeah. That's and, the thing I really like about it is they'll they will tell a story that will take three or four episodes to get through. Mm -hmm. And they're they're not afraid to end it at a spot. It's like, okay, the half hour's over. We're ending it here. It's also cool that, that some of the clones you end up liking, and they end up having names, and you you, you know mm -hmm. they, they follow they, they stick and some around of them and they are sad when they when they finally bite it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like oh man, that guy was awesome. And they actually have characters bite it. They yeah. do, which is oh yeah, different for a cartoon. All right, anyway, yeah, back to this email. <laughs> so no, well, he's he, dry blackthorn cider. Yay! You didn't really have a question. It was no. more of a no, statement. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Their, I, go I back and play again. Go back and play again. Ask yeah. their names. Yeah. Just make sure names. your wife knows you're going out and playing with a bunch of fat beards because she might Craigslist. feel like you're cheating. Where are you going out? Why are you staying out all night? What's going on? You Why do you smell like cigarettes weird when you come back? I don't know. Why do you smell like salami when you come back? You smell like B.O. <laughs> well, dear, you <laughs> What have you been doing? You weren't giving it to me, so I had to go somewhere else. <laughs> I, you just got to be careful. My gaming just, group understands me. <laughs> Try running a game with her. Come on, try it. Try it. Just don't take her there. Because no, she's going to take, take you don't sniff and leave. Heather has actually wiped out of her memory that she played in a D&D &D game with me. She did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The oh. very first time I ran 4th edition D&D. &D. That's yeah. right. It was her, Tappy, and Claire, and I ran them through a, a very simple dungeon. Yeah. I would wipe that out of my memory, too. <laughs> oh, it was fine. Playing with tapping. I don't know. I, I I brought her in a game, and she played the president and had That's a great right. time. Right. She was, she was I awesome. Asked her Arguably, again. she was the best character. I, I said when 5th edition D&D &D comes out, if I want to run a you know like a short game, like a one or two mm -hmm. session thing, do you want to play it? And she says, no, I don't, I don't play RPGs. What? 
She she played in my first Disney Fourth Edition game too. Well, she didn't play the whole game. She doesn't remember. The kids got sick and she had to take care of them. I was talking to Emily about the whole Harrison Ford game, and yeah, Heather was arguably the most valuable character in it. Yeah. Kept calling in airstrikes, right? And, and then she, and she called in a bunch of red <laughs> vines. She collected all the red vines from the uh, from the craft service table and made a rope in the cartoon world. It was great. Email from hour eleven. I'll do that one. I guess I'm the only one left. Thank you, Mr. CJ. By the way, yes, yes, thank you. Email for hour eleven about fate and player agency, or why my fake campaign imploded. This is actually really interesting. I read this earlier and I went, hmm. Uh, it's been my experience that GMs who read Fate fall in love with it. The main reason being that Fate pushes about a third of the GM's job onto the players. <laughs> Basic character generation requires all the PCs to be connected through their backstories. Unifying the party is part of the game system. Creating a world of the game happens collaboratively. Uh, although two-thirds of the process is still handled by the GM, offloading about one-third of the prep is delightful. Sure. <laughs> Even during the session, when players succeed with consequences, it is, it, it's, us, it's up to the players to suggest how this success partially backfired. Fate's combat is designed around being quick, narrative, and exciting. It... Strives to be the furthest thing from two people standing toe to toe, exchanging punches until one spontaneously dies, of which many systems can sink into. Sure. Instead, it's designed to make fight rounds where, for example, PC one through PC three are unskilled at combat, like a random normal person, and are fighting a hulking NPC mutant thing in an auto shop after a massive earthquake has torn the city to pieces. An actual situation that happened in the game. Seeing the giant hole in the floor made by the earthquake, PC-1 throws a box of auto parts and bolts to the ground. PC-2 distracts the giant NPC monstrosity, while 3 hits it with a tire iron off-balancing it into the rough footing and sending it plummeting down the hole. This is not unusual for fate. You should be working together. It's meant for you to pass your advantages to each other. You should be using the environment. Fate points could easily put uh, the parachute by the door or that lighter in your pocket. That's giving you stuff that action movies are made of. But what if your players don't want to work that hard or don't want you to work that hard to have that much agency in the game world? What if they do just want to stand and punch something until, until it, dies? it dies? What if they don't <laughs> want to have to worry about adding new details and descriptions into a scene? What if the players don't want that one-third of the GMing responsibility? <laughs> what fate forces on them? What if they don't want to tell you the bad things that happen when they fail a roll? I'll tell you what happens. Your session fizzles out and dies. Fate calls for proactive players, not reactive players. Proactive players will have an amazing time with it. If your players are the type that get that get confronted with the Sandbox campaign and can't think of anything to do without a giant plot hooks dragging them forward, Fate might not be the right system. <laughs> I've had groups love Fate, and I've had groups that hate it. As a GM, if I'd thought about it more, I probably could have seen the imminent failure of that campaign coming. They were very passive players. Likewise, look out for split groups where passive <laughs> players can quickly be relegated to aspect and boost-generating machines for the more active players' flashy maneuvers. Just wanted to warn the GMs out there who might really get excited when reading the books to not consider uh, if the story type fits to the system, something we should do every time. But also, if the system fits the players, not always an issue beyond finding the appropriate 
quote, crunch, end quote, level. But fate is a unique creature. Fate is definitely a system by GMs for GMs. If you can get a table full of experienced GMs playing Fate, the fun is unrivaled. Probably. And unlike most systems where the players can be shielded from many of the mechanics, GURPS can be run as a very similar experience to Savage Worlds if you had the apparatus behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. The players must handle much of the work in Fate. People say it's rules light, but it's not. It's numbers light. Read the section on doing things. And you will see very quickly that rules are set in stone and very numerous. But the numbers are almost non-existent. Fate is a game about player agency. That's why there is no list of advantages. The list is your imagination. But some players may not want the responsibility or they would be jamming. Hour 11. That is a very good point. Yes. Absolutely. And I've been uh, an active player and really gung-ho. And then some days I show up and I'm tired uh-huh. Beat up, and I just want to sit back and maybe hit something or maybe roll dice. I vacillate back and forth between being an active player and a non-active player, and I can see how fate can be very taxing to even an experienced role player where you're like, I just I just don't want to think today, Steve. I'm like, fuck, I just want to drink beer. I'm going to roll some dice. I had a shitty day. No, don't make me do all the work. I can see how, yeah, the game could fall down fast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that this is actually one of the things I'm trying to, I'm wrestling with with Moment of Truth right now, because I have the, the mechanic, the narrative mechanic, where the where the players can go in and change scenes, and I don't know if it's changed because I haven't listened to the last few games because I was at fair, but the uh, horror game that um, DT Pints is running, one of the things he mentioned uh, maybe a month ago was that no one would has used any Moments of Truth. I don't even know if they've earned them, but... In the game I ran, I gave out one. One player started with three, and another player I think got two of them. And I don't think one got used in the game. I mean, I remember playing in the game that I was playing with you. I remember I was kind of nebulous about when we could use it or not until the very end of the game when I realized, oh, you so mean if I, I do could it pick now? this thing up and I could say that that. That the town that we went right. to, that the, the right. cavalry's marching over yeah. the hill right now? I said, yes! Said, oh, <laughs> I get it now! Right. Right. Um, but I, I, but what's, it, what's that have to do with later? Well, it, it, uh, Cause, cause maybe, it's, maybe it's the same sort of thing where the players are like, wait, I don't want to narrate this game. You're the GM. Well, I was going to say that, that even a non-fake game, for ex- take, for example, our L5R game. I know that Dave is exhausted, or was exhausted doing it, because he spent all this time talking. Right. And coming up with plot hooks and coming up and negotiating and stuff, while the rest of us went back and, and said, yeah. We'll uh-huh. go murder some stuff when yeah. you tell us when it's time. <laughs> right. And, it, and, he, and it's exhausting right. to be that guy. And I think fate of course, that's is why he decided to guys. play a courtier this Well, time. yes, but I, think that, <laughs> but I think fate is full of people like, like that. It's full of situations like that where the players yes. have to be proactive and constantly coming up with stuff for them to do, constantly changing the game yeah. world. And I, I'm not always 100% on it either. You know, There's times when you just want to kick back, drink beer, and dial it in. Right. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, yes, and that's not why I always, whenever I show up at an RPG, I always want to do stuff, but sometimes you're just... You're under the weather, whatever it is. And I, I get it. I totally get it. And fate, uh, that's the flaw. If you don't come in one, with your A game, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Everyone doesn't come with A game. Well, yeah. Hour uh, 11. Insightful. Thank you. Email from Jay Fever. Hello, cunt rags. Is wow. that an appropriate term? 
No. Rags? It isn't. I hate being no. called rags. That's That sucks. But according to uh, our friends in Australia, or... Yeah, it's Australia. That's uh, the C word is. I don't know if, is, if he's. I don't know if he's from Australia. Long lost J fever. Je fervor. You gave me J fever. Uh, before I get into the real reason why I wrote the email, I'd like to raise a glass. Here's to all you fuckers for years of entertainment. From episode zero, where Stu talked about how tabletop RPGs would always trump MMOs, to everything accomplished in two days' time. Two, two days. days. You all have fought through your inebriation to give the world amazing entertainment and factoid nuggets. Oh my! Uh, that m- have made our days that much better. Cheers. Cheers! Thank you. Now to the meat of my email. After playing the Moment of Truth RPG with uh, friend of the podcast DT Pints, I realized Stu's next RPG obsession is Star Wars: Edge of the Empire by Fantasy Flight Games. Ooh. Just Claimer. Mm-hmm. Edge of the Empire shares some design goals with the Moment of Truth. I encourage you to continue your efforts, Stu. Your system is far less complex than Ed- Ed- Edge of the Empire. Uh, think of it this way. Savage, th- Savage Worlds is to GURPS what Mott is to E-O-T-E. Okay. Now, I just saw in the game store something of the Rebel. Uh, it was the same it's by Fantasy Flight Games. It's a Star Wars thing, but it's not Edge of the Empire. But it's a box set, and it's an, it's like it's, God. What was it? Someone in the chat room. Do they, you guys know what I'm talking They'll about? They'll rescue. Keep reading. Uh, Kimmy's looking it up. Right I've now. got I've got I've got the window up because oh. someone put my name in there. <laughs> Is that you? Did you do that? No. I There's some someone in the chat room named Heather Green. What? <laughs> Is your wife like just curious? She's like, hey, I wonder what they're talking about. Did, uh, does she Hi, even know Heather. we have a chat room? No. And she wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> Someone's Did impersonating. She spelled green, right? Yes, spelled it. green, spelled right. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and she's incensed that there's this chat room. That's hysterical. Um, Is it? I, I, go in and look. I doubt no, it's her. No, I doubt it's her too. It's a little <laughs> weird though that someone like wants to be your wife. She would be yelling. Other at, than your wife, she would be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if you, yeah, if you had, we're in my mm-hmm. wife's shoes for five minutes. You wouldn't want to be my wife. <sighs> Where she has I? little feet. She does. Uh, I have I have delved into uh, Edge of the Empire recently and ran my first session. It's like playing Fate for the first time, as its mechanics are so much different. Age of the uh, Age of Rebellion. That's the name of the Star Wars game that I saw. Stay under the chat room. Chat room to the rescue. Yes, thank you. Uh, mechanics are so much different than your average D twenty game. After you get over the initial long learning curve and foreign dice mechanics, I can honestly say I don't see myself playing much else for a long time. Wait, wait, wait. So that's all he wants to play? Or he doesn't want to play it anymore? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All he wants to play is Edge of the Empire? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I use narrative dice. It uses a narrative dice system. There is not a single number to be found on any of the dice. See, I would hate that. Every positive story dice has a set of symbols that can be sent countered or canceled by symbols on the negative story dice. After each skill test is rolled, it is then up to the GM and acting player to figure out what happens. Wait, wait, wait. I got two smiley faces and you've got you've got a Cthulhu. So uh, I, apparently a Cthulhu trumps two smiley faces except on every second Tuesday when if you have a frowny face and a Cthulhu, you get a, a secondary bonus and you get to use a force. What? Why don't you just give me numbers? Right. 
Why isn't it a two and a four anymore? Sorry. Amazing. Uh, uh, through this narrative dice system, amazing results can happen. The kind of results that create amazing game stories rather than, an, a, than I hit followed by math. The system also uses an interesting mechanic called obligation. Uh, well, I'm meriting. I don't know for that. As the title suggests, <laughs> every player has some sort of obligation in their life. It could range from fueling your drug habit to trying to pay off your immense debt to the huts. Great. That's my life. Fuck. Bob Great. I'm supposed to be playing this for fun, not recreating Each my world. obligation has a numeric rating, and the party adds their total obligation together. The higher your party obligation, the more likely that it can be triggered by a GM-made role before <laughs> each session. Uh, if it's triggered, something very personal to one of your players complicates the story. If it's addressed, the obligation goes down. If it's not addressed, then your obligation could increase, and the next time your obligation is triggered, shit could get way more real. See, I'm I'm balking already. I it's the same problem I have with Mouse Guard and uh, uh, the <clears throat> the Burning Wheel. Yeah, or there's suddenly like player emotions are quantified instead of yeah. qualified, and there's a dice roll for about mm-hmm. what your motivations are. Remember, it's been so long since I read that. Uh, as well as the stat, obligation can be used as a resource. Need a nice new blaster, but don't have the credits to buy one? Take a loan from someone, it translates into an obligation. Ultimately, is it a game mechanic whose only purpose is to create story? Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah <There> but, <sighs> well, I don't mind the like the obligation in that context. Like, I borrowed money. Now this guy's going to hunt me down if I don't pay him back. Like That's right. a little yeah. bit different than emotional obligation. But I don't want it to be part of the game rules. That happens anyway. I mean, I can make that part of the story. I don't actually need a rule for me to tell me to do that. I don't quantify my game. As a GM, it would <laughs> it would be kind of fun to say, okay, what's everyone add up your all obligations. Mm-hmm. So I've got kind of set out what I'm thinking about doing, and then I'm going to roll one of those stupid dice that don't have n- numbers on them, <laughs> and I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to get a smiley face and say, oh, and what's your obligation? Uh, let's see. I look in the chart. Smiley face equals four. Okay, yeah, uh, something's going to happen. Yep. And then I... <laughs> Right, I mean that would be fun. Yeah, for as, as a GM, I mean that's like when in you know, the, be in more the fun is if you go in and negotiate for a blaster and you don't have enough money and you give him and you pawn it off and then the person, you know, the, the guy that you sold the blaster to goes, "Fuck that guy!" And now two two game sessions later, that guy's hunting you down. I didn't need dice for that. I actually no, just I'm, came up with that. I understand. I actually made the guy but hunt I, you down anyway. If you're GMing, I don't have to come up with that stuff. I can just at the beginning of the game just. Roll my smiley face and go, oh, look, I got um, two cannons and a turd. <laughs> and and now I, something's going to happen to one of you. And, oh, it's going to be you. Your your uh, long-lost daughter is going to show up mm-hmm. wanting money. I guess it does keep you from playing favorites. You know. Yeah. That way, that way every person in the group has a chance and to be fucked And it's a, a wrench that gets to get thrown into the game that I don't have to come up with. It, yeah. it happens on its own. And it's just as much a surprise for me as it is for everyone else. And what happens when the players go out and make their own wrenches? Like, no, 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 ignore that wrench. I have one I roll for. We're going to stick with that one. But, no, but no, no, the no, GM rolls, that. though. Yeah, but the GM rolls, rolls a wrench and he's going to stick with it. And the players, meanwhile, are fucking everything else up and coming up with great plot hooks, but you're ignoring them because you Why would you already. ignore? You, can, you don't have to ignore their plot hooks. Well, yeah. but, they're not, but they're not part of the role. You rolled one that you have to stick D- with. That doesn't mean you have to only use that, does it? I don't know. Let's read on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
William uh, Real, uh, as well as the story. Uh, what is most amazing about uh, Edge of the Empire is that Fantasy Flight Games does an incredible job of making the game very difficult to break. Your player playtesting was stellar, and it shows in the final product. It's not the mun- it's not for the munchkin at all, which makes me warm where my wife touches me. Uh, oh yeah. Also, it uses armor as soak and as fantasy as a as is a fantasy flight staple. It has a fucking awesome critical injury chart. The narrative, uh, as narrative as the system is, it also manages to make room for the players' lives to be in jeopardy at all times. Getting h- killed can happen at a blink of an eye if you're not careful. So deadly is good. Yeah, I like that. What is also great about the system, whether it or whether it is intentional or not, is that it is not Star Wars specific. Edge of the Empire is one of three core uh, rule books. If focus, it focuses on Han Solo types far more than Luke Skywalker's. The other books will cover the Force more in depth. But for now, you have mechanics of narrative space opera. I could see someone using the system to run Firefly, Traveler, or Warhammer 40k game. Uh... When I played Mott, I got the impression that the mechanics were simple as as to fuel the story. While in Edge of the Empire, it is not so simple. It covers a ton of ground in the space opera genre and aims to, to create amazing game stories by focusing on the narrative. These two games, much in, com- much in common, they share. Um, These two games, much in common, they share. Uh, I highly recommend you play this game, Stu. Not only do I think you'll enjoy it, but you might get glean a few ideas, inspiration for your own system. Uh, have a good one, folks. Deuces. Jay Fever. Uh, P.S. If Kimmy is there, oh, I'd like to apologize for is. her. Uh-oh. To her, not for her. To her. I had seen a meme about a form-fitting dress that was a map of Middle-Earth. Yes, <gasps> I like that dress. Underneath the picture of the dress... On an attractive woman was a picture of Bilbo Baggins that said, "We're going on an adventure." I thought it was funny, and I thought Kimmy would appreciate it, so I put it up on her Golden Lasso Facebook page. I did this without remembering that she's trying to keep her cosplay page as squeaky clean as possible to protect her job. I noticed that she took it down, which reminded me of this fact. <gasps> did I? You must have. I must have. PPS. Keep up the good work on your L5R game. Still the best actual play on the mega webs. PPPS, furry pooper. Oh, well, that's Oof. nice of you. I think, I don't know, it sounds funny now, but maybe at the time I was like, that bitch is too skinny. I don't like that on my face. Well, it might have been in the height of the whole Marvel, you know, I need a hero thing, and we're going on an adventure. And you looked at the dress and went, nope, yeah. no dwarves are going to my nether regions. Yeah, I, although if that dress was not over $90, I would totally own it right now. <laughs> But I absolutely refuse to spend that much on a yard and a half of spandex. That's not happening. It, it really depends on where the Mines of Moria was located on the map. <laughs> and it Don't depends you think? How, how the spandex was cut. Yeah. yeah. No, it's super tight. Like, it's like, it's tight dress. But I appreciate you visiting my page. Thank you. That's very nice. And I like that dress. Giving horror store from Gabriel. Is it my turn? Whose turn is it? Stu just read. That'll be my turn, I guess. Gaming Horror Story from Gabriel. Hey, douchebags! I'm Gabriel from Stoke-on-Trent in England. I like how they have on places in England. We don't they have do, any cool on places. I know, we don't. 
Like L.A. on California. <laughs> no. Well, you could say Pasadena on <laughs> the L.A. River. It just doesn't On the Arroyo. Yeah, on yeah. the Arroyo. On the Arroyo. No, that's just pretty okay. <laughs> If you're going to have a go, oh, God, at an accent, try Northern Englishman. Sean Bean-esque. If that's not possible, retired British Army officer will do. I can't, I can't do that one either. Sorry. I am totally disappointing today. I'm deleting people off my page. I'm not doing accents. It's awful. All right. Now to the gaming horror story from my first gaming group back when I was 16 over a year ago. Yeah, I'm new blood. I was dedicated I, I was dedicated GM or DM and I had introduced role playing games to my friends. At this point we were all new, so we were playing D and D fourth edition. A mistake I know. After DMing a while, I let my friend Adel, who is well, quite mad or creative as I like to think. The first session went quite well. Although a little railroady, it ended up with us being airdropped into I shit you not, Elfghanistan. <laughs> Yes, Elfghanistan. Uh, we're going on no. an adventure <laughs> where we were quickly drafted into the Dwarven army. Next session, we had another player who had been an asset uh, from the first session. Another friend called Jack, who loved breaking games if they were ra- if they railroaded him and his character. So the session starts with a Dwarven military base. Me and Jack are introducing our characters to each other in the bar and interacting. Then the others are suddenly talking to the Dwarven General. He gives them a mission to go kill, again, I shit you not, the Werebunny Queen. Wow. Oh, yeah. Suddenly, we're going, uh, we're going to, a, to cart. Suddenly we're, we're on a, a cart. Oh, we're on a cart to take us where we have to go. Me and Jack state that we're still at the bar, having not been summoned, so why would we go on some random cart? He tells us just to get on the cart and stop ruining his campaign. We let it slide even though we are annoyed and we get on the cart. It takes us to the mouth of an open cave where we have to enter and find the Werebunny Queen. Jack asks if the entrance is stable. Adel says it hasn't been. It's just a hole in the <coughs> ground. Somehow Jack pulls out a clockwork bomb from some compendium and says he's going to cave the hole in with an explosion. Adel says, all right, but, but uh, by the explosion throws dirt and widens the hole. Then Jack and Idle have a 10-minute argument about the physics of fucking dirt during an explosion. Then Adel says, fine, now quite angry, and says, we win. And as we go, the general arrives and penalizes us for destroying an ancient temple in the caves that we weren't told about. Next thing we know, <laughs> we have to fine. destroy... Fine, you win. You just blew up a whole temple that you didn't even know about. So, uh, yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah, here's a spanking. Bad, yeah. bad players. Next thing we have to do is destroy some artillery pieces by the coast so the dwarven fleet can get to port. Because dwarves we, are, yeah. you know, sailors. Sailors. <laughs> now. In Afghanistan. We decide that we will sneak up with our rogue and take out the guards stealthily, and then everyone else can rush in. Suddenly, everyone, even those who aren't sneaking up, have to roll a stealth check. Our oh. clunky, our clunky paladin oh. fails. It's like a, a notice roll. Can I? Uh, can I see something? Can I see? Something? How about you? Do you yeah. see something? <laughs> Everybody rolls. Then something. we're all in combat for some reason. I call bullshit. And for speaking I out, I get five damage. Wandering damage. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I refuse. You will not be speaking out in my game. You get damage. I refuse, as I know I'm in the right. He grabs my character sheet, flings dice across the room, then writes five damage in pen, scratching my <sighs> character sheet in the progress. In progress, scrunching actually. Scrunching, sorry. Oh, worse yep. than scrunching, actually. Allie up. just Allie just heard Kimmy use the f word, so she's signing off. 
She's actually listening? It, yeah, yeah. I checked the IP address when you started reading the email, and I'm like, wait a minute. I recognize that IP address. So I ran in the house, and there she was. She's listening to the show. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't know your kids were listening. I'd be good. They, well, they weren't, but now oh, they good. are. Now they, now they are, just in time to hear me no, use well, the she's, She just signed off. God, great. Excellent. We have the best God mommy ever. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, scrunching my character sheet in progress. Needless to say, I left promptly. I'd like to say we never let him GM again, but... Okay, you deserve it the second time. Just yeah, so you know. right. After a while, me and Jack, along with a slightly newer group, wanted to play this awesome new game. We had just found Traveler. Nice. <gasps> I had read the core rulebook and generic fluff and was ready, really up for playing, but we had no GM. In comes Adele. You know, at this point, I'd like to say, you know, you could step up and GM. Mm. If you've read the core book and want to do it, yeah. That's what this whole podcast is about. Right. Stepping up and yeah. GMing. Well, this is a down. long time ago. Yeah. And he says he, yeah. he was their normal GM, usually. It sounds like maybe with Traveler specifically, he just wanted to play. Because Traveler's fun to play. Uh, he says he will run a, us a campaign. Dubiously, we accept it. So we are in some generic, non-described starship, heading through the neutral zone between the Imperials and the Rebels, not wanting to point out that the Travel Imperium wouldn't let Rebels live very long. And I let him go ahead. Suddenly, an asteroid is coming at us. I tell the gunners to shoot it, but Adel says I can't, as we're being pulled in by a tractor beam. I point out that there's no tractor beams in Traveler, and it wouldn't prevent us from shooting. The asteroid... Five points damage. Yeah. <laughs> the asteroid then decloaks. To become a uh, renowned lost alien race's spaceship, which proceeds to destroy the bridge in one hit. The party decides to take the ship, and when it's close enough, we did a spacewalk uh, and board the ship, ejecting the crew soon, soon through some impressive computer rolls by another player. At least the GM allowed him to do all that. Yep. That's cool. We take the ship and find out that it has an AI on it. We talk to it, find out it is a dick, and assume it's gone rogue and kill it. Adel gets pissed and says we should have just kept him. You should have kept it. It would have helped you. (laughs) Then we find out that there's a hole in the hall, which Jack asks if he can fix it. Adel says uh, we board it. uh, Adel says we board it over with plywood. Jack asks where the hell we get plywood from in space. IKEA responds. Adel. Don't you mean sci-fi Kia, Jack says? Oh, man. Sci-fi Kia. That's worthy of my game. That's actually hilarious. Yeah. Sci-fi Kia is now a regular corporation in my subsequent Traveler games. So this is why my horror games always fall apart. (laughs) Is shit like that. Yeah. Plans. I mean, oh, is your daughter still listening? Stuff, things, no, no, things no, like no, that. No, she, no, yeah. she, she dropped right when she said she. When yeah. you walked in the door. <laughs> yeah. Learn, learn from Stork. No bad puns in your horror games. Yes. Yeah. With a different group, I might add. So now he, sci-fi key is with a different group. Uh, then I head to a small planet where Adel changes my backstory so that in. So I suffer from insomnia, forgetting that amnesia. I... Amnesia. No, no. It's oh, amnesia. Sorry. I forgetting can't get that, any sleep. <laughs> why are that? Amnesia. Forgetting that I committed mass genocide on a planetary scale. That's like your character in Traveler <laughs> when she opened up all the water ever. Yeah. I, I remember that. Mass <laughs> genocide. And I chose to do that. And yeah. it was a failed role. It was yeah. an epic failed role. It was so epic. Oh, my God. <laughs> it would have been amazing if it had worked. Anyway... Uh, we go to the planet's surface and break into a shipyard. Adel draws a 10 by 10 square um, and what looks like three square sausages on it. 
we quickly <laughs> threw stealth, attack, and kill the guards, which I question that my character would do. Then Al says that in front of me is my old ship, the ISS Infactable. I look uh, at him. Infaticable. 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 I think it's supposed to be in. What is it? Indefatigable. What what is it? Infatigable. Yes, that one. They're smart English people. I don't know. Infatigable. I went to California school. (laughs) Anyway. The opposite of fatigable. It's not incontroversible, but it's infatigable. I think it's emphatigable. Oh, Google, it up. ask the chat room. They know everything. This is everything. cable, but I think it should be emphatigable. Yeah. I think it's with a G. I look at him perplexed as everyone starts laughing. Where is it, I ask. Edel points to one of the sausages. We all laugh. You don't realize he served on a massive warship, Jack says. Indefatigable. Okay. Indefatigable. Indefatigable with a G, right? Yeah. Yeah, Fatigable. he spelled it with a C. Oh, y- yes, but I- I'm thinking that's what he meant. Okay. Persistent, persisting tirelessly. Yeah. That's what it means. Maybe. Indefatigable. Yeah. Did he serve on a three-man turd, another player asked? <laughs> we-, we stopped then and there, and Adel never GM'd again. And I got another group together. The incident will forever be known as Adel and the Three-Man Turd. And now, if ever a GM railroads or does something dickish, it will f- be forever known as doing an Adel. Thanks for reading these really long stories. I hope they amuse you. Just a short, quick question. What long-running or cross-campaign jokes, if any, have there been in your campaigns? Cheers, lads. Have a good one. P.S. Take a drink. You know, inside jokes are Two probably funny. Days. Two days. I was going to think taking the, taking the boat to Tart Island. Setting it on fire. Well, no, because when we first did the 4E game, we, we they had a whole argument about actually getting on the boat and going over to the to Death to Island. Death Island, yeah. Yeah, the tarred boat to Death Island. That tarred was boat, yeah. that was that was a big buzzword for a while, and yeah. they're only funny to us, and that's not even that funny now. And mm-hmm. you know, four Setting or five it on years fire on down funny. the line. Yeah, that was like five years ago, because that was going to solve I, a problem. One player right. was like, "I know, we're trying to get this thing. Let me set it on fire." And, this player proceeded to spend the next, like, four rounds trying to start a fire while everyone else was fighting. Inside the thing, I think. There are people inside the Inside? Th- I was inside on. the thing. So, someone asked a while ago when the wives are going to be in Bristol. We are so going to be... I, text, no, I, I oh. texted Heather, when are you going to be in Bristol? And her response? The 9th and 10th of August? No. No? What? Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, Heather. I'm laughing with you. Don't be. Wait, wait. She's typing. She's typing. And then I put in all caps. When? <laughs> so the 9th and 10th of August? I, be- I believe so. It's the second weekend of August. Because first weekend of August, we will be in Washington Fair. Let me see if I can get my calendar to come up just to make sure. May, June, July, August. 9th and 10th. Look at that. I know Look stuff. Look at that. You know stuff. So they'll be out there in the 9th and 10th. Yes. So if, if you live in the Midwest, there you go. Even us. if you live in Oregon, you can come up there into Washington. I mean, it's right on the border. On the week, uh, and that's the that's week the before. Where in Washington? Weekend. Is it Seattle? Is it? It's about an hour outside of Seattle. Like, do you know the town? No? Well, they can look it up. It's how many Ren Fairs are there in Washington in August? Probably. I don't one. Know. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. It's that one. It's called the go Washington there. Renaissance Fair. Go there so. and see them. Yes, go and come see us. Yep. There you go. All right. That's it? 
Yep. Ninety nine minutes. We better. It's we indefatigable. Have, we, have, we have the the worst day of our of the year tomorrow. No. Dun dun dun. No, taking down is so much better than building fair. No, not I disagree. It's not as hot when we're building. Right, true. We have three weekends to do it. Yeah, but see, we're done in one yeah, day. Yeah, but see, it's see, still the worst six hours of the year. Build, building's worse, I think. And here's why. Because it's only you and uh, two other people that know how to use tools. Taking down, any monkey can knock stuff over. It's and they three can weekends. Stuff. I'd rather just work my ass off for one day for and me, be done. Tearing down is way worse than building it up. Because people get hurt. No, because I get bossy and I start telling people what to do. No, that's not why. <laughs> I, I just I, I hate I hate being out there when it's hot. Right yeah. now, and it's hot now, and it wasn't hot in March. No, yeah, well, actually, yeah. but then we're done. Yes, then we are done, done and then yeah, and then we're having our and then we have to call in our soirees, stack things, everything has to be a certain size, yeah. and there's all these regulations. I've got all that. Gaming that, that again? stuff I got, I all got done. Yeah, next oh, Sunday, my God. not this Sunday, yep. but next Sunday. Yep. Yeah, we're all set. We've got our our, our schedule. I'm also going to start up the Moment of Truth game too. Nice. That's going to start back up too. Oh, nice. we had I that for, one session. I forgot what I, I did. recorded it. I never released that session. I know. So I've got. Uh, did I'm you release re- the L5R game, by the way? Yes. Okay. Nice. All right. I have to find that character sheet. I know. Oh, yeah, everybody gets five experience, by the way. So five experience, five experience. Get five experience. Great. Now, if I can find my character, I can't remember what experience I had to start with. Wait, wait. I hear the Russian army approaching. When listeners of Happy Jacks RPG Thank you for joining us for Season 12, Episode 4 of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Kimmy. This is Stark. And uh, for those of you that are still over at GameX, I uh, hope you're having fun. Uh, roll some dice for us. And, yeah, uh, send us some emails. Send us some monsters. Send us, yeah, send us some photos and stuff. What's going on? We want to know. And that's it. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. And we'll leave you with a song.
something frees my mind. Heave away, haul away. To leave Miss Nancy Blair behind. We're bound for South Australia. Haul away, you rolling kings. Heave away, haul away. Haul away, you'll hear me sing. We're bound for South Australia. Oh, when we wallop round Cape Horn. Heave away, haul away. No wish to God you'd never been born. We're bound for South Australia. Haul away, you rolling kings. Heave away. I was in Australia's strand Heave away, haul away With a bottle of whiskey in me hand We're bound for South Australia Haul away, you rolling kings Heave away, haul away Haul away, you'll hear me sing We're bound for South Australia Port Adelaide's a grand old town Heave away, haul away There's plenty of girls to go around We're bound for South Australia Haul away, you rolling kings Heave away The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.